Better be doing better than that. I got 35 minutes. How we doing, Stonebridge? All right. Uh, I want to start by saying that the cancellation of the 845 sermon for summer had nothing to do with my 845 sermon. Um, so it's not that bad. But we're going to have a good time this morning as we open the Word of God together. Uh, my name is, is Chris or Critter Cook. I'm a church planning candidate with the Salt Network. Uh, and so what that means is my family and I moved up here from South Louisiana. Can you hear it a little bit? Not from around these parts. We moved up here from South Louisiana last summer. Um, and we'll be here for another year. We might have some pictures. Yeah, that's my, my beautiful wife. I got three little girls. Uh, Abigail's five. Caroline is three. And Emma is one. Um, and about two and a half years prior um, to us moving up here a year ago, so three and a half years ago, is when I started to first sense this, this burden inside of me to plan next generation focused church. Similar to Cornerstone, similar to Salt, um, I was involved in a church at LSU as a student that was like Cornerstone as a multi-generational community, but, but really caring about the gospel being passed on to the next generation. And what I got to experience as normal having husbands and, and fathers and business leaders and, and just men and women live out the gospel in a real tangible way, um, I realized uh, as a student wasn't the norm for the majority of the emerging generation. Um, and so a couple years ago, um, that really started to bother me. Um, and what that has led us to do as a family uh, is say yes to God to allowing him to uproot us, leave family, leave friend, leave what's familiar, uh, and God willing, replant us in a place where we can live our lives and bear fruit for the kingdom of God that, that long outlasts us. And so in the fall of 2020, we'll be planting Indiana University, which is in Bloomington in southern Indiana. Um, and not just us, but um, right now there's about 40 other people that are already committed to moving with us and being a part of our launch team. So um, that's something we should celebrate for, Right. So can we brag on God for a second and just give an applause and a thank you to what he's doing around, um, around our, our family? Um, that's an update, but it, it's, it's also a thank you. Uh, and so thank you for this reason. Many of you, uh, and if you don't, you should have your alarm set on your phone for 10.02, maybe a.m., maybe p.m., to pray for laborers to be raised up to go into the harvest. Uh, and so that's a thank you for uh, your prayers. Whether or not you realize it or not, um, your prayers have brought me here. I'm in Boone, Iowa. Boone, Iowa. It's awesome. But I didn't know Boone, Iowa existed a few years ago. I never thought I'd be standing in front of you guys opening the word of God together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, But your prayers have led me here. And so as my wife told me when we had our first child and we're going into the hospital to deliver, you did this to me. You did this to me. Your prayers, um, in a very sincere way, were heard by God. And my life is different because of it. The lives of 40 others will be different because of it. God willing, 60 more to join us. We're praying for 100 people to move with us from Baton Rouge or from Ames or all around the Salt Network family and replant their lives in Bloomington. And even more than that, God willing, the lives of hundreds and thousands will be changed because you take time every day to go before a great God and ask him to do great things. And so thank you for praying, uh, and and please, please continue. Um, This morning, we're going to close out our sermon series uh, in Entrusted, 
looking at stewarding our time. Uh, and as I prepared to preach on this topic um, for the past couple of weeks, I was struck by the gap that um, exists between how I think we as Americans consider time and managing it and stewarding it, um, and the Bible talks about time. Um, for sure, time's a precious commodity. We don't like people wasting it, do we? Don't waste my time. I have 30 minutes and 45 more of your seconds, 44, 43. But don't waste it. It better be good. You better are prepped. I got things to do. Got places to be, people to see. Um, it's a precious commodity, and we, we don't like it wasted. We'll waste it a little bit. You know, we'll binge some Netflix, seven straight shows of Great British Baking Show. Anybody? So good if you haven't watched it. You'll feel like a baker after. Though you won't be good at baking, you'll feel better. Um, but we, we don't like to waste time because time is a precious commodity. And I want to affirm this morning that it is precious. But I want to challenge, and I think our scripture this morning will do as well, uh, this idea of time as a commodity. Because I think there's, there's a faulty way of, of looking at it, and it'll get us in trouble if we view it as a commodity to be hoarded. Here's the reality. Unlike the lottery where you get a chance for installments or lump sum, the way the lump sum, the way that God gives out time is always an installment since always called today and you're not promised tomorrow. And it's assumptive or presumptive if we think God gives us time and lump sums. Right? We get a paycheck maybe every two weeks, maybe every month, maybe we sell a property, we can put money in a bank account, and it's pretty reasonable to expect that, that money is going to be there and actually grow barring some catastrophic world economic collapse and hyperinflation, it's going to grow a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but time's not that. You and I are only promised today, never tomorrow. And ultimately, it's presumptive for us to think that time's going to carry on, but this is, this is human nature. And James, uh, which is where we'll be this morning in chapter 4, uh, challenges this way of thinking, and ultimately, I think, is going to help us with a better theology of time. A better theology of time management. So, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to James chapter 4. We'll be in verses 13 through 17. Um, if you're new to the Bible, it's a small book in the back of what's called the New Testament. Um, and don't be shy about asking the table of contents for directions. He's a great neighbor. Um, but we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And I'm going to read um, the first couple of verses for us. And I'm going to read it with some, some umph, some unction. Um, because I think this is, this is how James meant his original hearers to hear um, his message. This is what James says in verse 13, speaking about time and life and how we steward it. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Come now, you who say. This is how James begins, okay? Um, what we say tells us about what we believe. You want to know what you believe on the inside? Listen to how you speak on the outside. This is how Jesus would say it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so James is looking at his original audience. I think um, he's telling us today... Do you hear yourself? Are you conscientious of, of, of what you're saying? Because it's going to tell you a little bit about what you're believing. Now, again, I've been married seven years. Um, when my wife starts a sentence this way, 
it's not a good thing to follow. Do you hear yourself? And usually, I say, yeah, I hear myself. Do you hear me? No, I'm kidding. I do not say that to my wife. Usually, that means I'm about, I'm about to get learned something. There's a little sanctification coming because I'm saying something that's, that's communicating my heart's not in the right place. This is what James is, is challenging. Do you hear yourself? Our speech speaks. Well, what is their speech saying? What are these believers talking about? What does James want them to hear? Look at verse 13 a little more closely. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Sounds okay to me. And it's scripture against making a profit. Money's all right. Have y'all, did y'all learn about money? Money, it's a, it's a good thing. Let's utilize it for the kingdom of God, right? Is it against planning? That's not what's going on here. Let's learn, or let's keep reading. Look at verse 14. It's going to give us a little more clarity. What James is trying to challenge to his original audience and what we need to be challenged with today. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Look at this illustration. James is going to compare their life to a mist in the day that then vanishes. Again, I'm from South Louisiana. I'm from uh, right outside New Orleans. And where I live, my hometown, is on the north shore of a massive lake called Lake Pontchartrain. And New Orleans sits on the south shore. And so there's a long bridge that connects the two. Um, and some of y'all may have drawn, I mean, driven across it. I actually met somebody in the first service that, that had. It's 24 miles long. It used to be the longest bridge in the world. Right? This is the bridge that, um, you know, mom, when she's up at like 2 a.m. doing QVC and all that kind of stuff, like she buys like the window hammer with the, the seatbelt slasher for the whole family, 1995, right? Buy one, get like 15. You put it in the kid's lap because you're terrified when you drive across this bridge for 30 minutes that you're just going to go overboard. Right? This is, I know Iowa, that's hard to picture. You don't have a lot of water around here, but lots of water in Louisiana. Okay? And with water comes fog. All right? So what James would call a mist, I want to call fog. And fog is, is a funny thing. My dad used to drive that bridge every morning for maybe 15 years. He'd drive it in the morning to get there. And at times there'd be a fog warning over that bridge. And the fog was just thick. I've actually driven through some fog in, in Iowa, but nothing like Louisiana where it's just like a brick wall. And you're driving and you know your car can kind of like cut through it, but you're not so sure, right? Are you tracking with me? Sometimes I get a little nervous. You're just driving. You're like, I don't know if there's something in front of me, but I'm going 75 miles an hour. This is stupid, right? Uh, Yeah, but your car's just going through it like a warm knife through butter. But when you're driving through fog, it's the only thing in front of you, right? It it seems heavy in substance and you just cut right through it and you're like, man, it's, it's almost an illusion, Okay. And not only does it seem heavy in substance, it seems like it's going to go on forever. Especially if if you're my dad waiting to get to work, uh, the causeway, this long bridge is shut down. Or if it opens up, police officers are are kind of caravering, canavering, what do you, what? Thank you. Thank you. This is why you get married. Your wife will sit in the front row and help you with your speech impediments. Um, You're caravanning across the bridge, okay? And... You're just counting down the time. Man, how long is this going to take? Now, what James is going to compare this mist to, or what I'm trying to tie uh, this kind of image of fog to, is, is the illusion when we have fog in front of us that it's really the substance that, that carries the weight. It's heavy. The reality is there's really nothing to it. The substance to, 
to life is the objects around it. It's the bridge you're driving on. It's the water around you. It's the day itself. And that fog only lasts for a moment because once it lifts, right, the day heats up, the fog lifts. You go off on, on throughout your day. You have meetings. You have phone calls. And you don't even think about the fact for, you know, an hour that morning there was fog on your trip to work. That's what our life is like when you consider life in general. And so James is not going to challenge here in our text the idea of, of making a profit or the idea of planning. He's going to challenge the idea of presuming. Because our life kind of acts like a fog. It's what's right in front of us. When we pull out our phone, we have our planner, we have our Instagram recording our life and our favorite you know, peak moments. And we think that life itself starts to revolve around us. We forget that our life is but temporary and but a mist in the bigger picture that we call life. And James is saying this is presumptive. Actually, a, a month ago, I celebrated um, my billionth second birthday. I'm over a billion seconds year old, year, years old. Why am I struggling? Seconds. Yeah, I'm a billion seconds old. Think about that. Hmm? So I'm 31, right? So if you pass 31, you can celebrate your 2 billion seconds birthday at like 62. That's a long time. Hmm. Anyway, I'm not going to show you or tell you how I figured that out. But I figured out that I was gonna, about to turn a billion seconds. That's a big deal. So instead of celebrating my 32nd birthday, I decided let's get a cake. You know, I'm going to make my children tell me happy birthday. I'm going to put a bunch of zeros in the cake, and I'm going to have a grand old time. And we did this. It was fantastic. And there's something about living a billion seconds or living 31 years that you almost get presumptive that life's just going to go on. It's just going to carry on like it, like it has. But again, the reality is God doesn't gift us time in lump sum. He gives us time in installments, and he only gives us time in what's called today. You and I have no idea... That when we close our eyes tonight, we're going to open them tomorrow morning. Absolutely none. It's a reasonable assumption, but there's a heart here that James is trying to get at where he's going to go, it's presumptive. And what he's going to call it, if you look down in verse 16, is actually something a lot stronger. Let me read on in verse 15 and 16 and 17 in our passage. Don't speak this way. Do you hear yourself talking is what James starts with. And then he says, instead you ought to say... This is how you should speak. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is what James is challenging. You need to hear it this morning, okay? When you plan, you plan as if God doesn't exist. You call yourself a son or daughter of God, but you act as, your fa- as if your father doesn't exist. You live your life as a functional atheist. And then even further than that, he's going to call it evil because it's not as if when they or we plan, we plan as if God doesn't exist. We plan as if we ourselves are God. As if our life is what matters, what's in front of us is what matters. And we don't see the bigger picture of what God's doing and what his purposes are. Verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance 
and all such boasting is evil. This is uh, more precisely what, what, what he means by boasting. It's the pretense of self-creation and soul causation of one's own well-being. The pretense of self-causation and soul causation of one, one's own well-being. This is how the Phillips, uh, a paraphrase of the Bible, says it. You get a certain pride in yourself in planning your future with such confidence. So these believers, and I think it's a word for us today, are leaving God out of their plans when they think about the future. When they think about stewarding their time, their life, God's nowhere in consideration. And what James is saying is that's actually going to speak to a deeper root of the heart where you're actually trying to make yourself God. You think you know best. You think you know what the future holds. You think you have the ability to carry it out, and you don't. And that is what James is going to call evil. That's strong, isn't it? Are y'all reading the same text I'm reading? It's like, really? Evil? You just called me evil? Yeah. But I think that's how convoluted our thinking is because as Americans, man, we, we idolize busyness. Right? Busyness is like it's almost a, a good thing. Right? You go into the doctor's office and if you wait for an hour and a half, what does that tell you? I'm at a good doctor. He's important. Right? You know you're at a good doctor. He's important. There's, there's, there's so many patients to see. We idolize productivity. We idolize multitasking. And the heart of that is actually bad stewardship of time and not seeing God rightly and therefore not seeing ourselves rightly. On the surface, it's a condemnation of playing without God. Deeper down, it's a condemnation of making oneself God. So let me give you some examples of how I miserably have failed at this over the last couple of weeks. Because I, as I prepare to preach uh, to others, I always preach first to myself. And I, I was sitting before this text and just going, man, this is, this is so true about me in a very convicting way. Here's a few things where I massively fall short in my presumption. I presume in my preparation of church planning. I just talked about 2020 in Indiana. Um, would you know that multiple times in my preparation over the last couple of weeks as my 1002 alarm went off that I just encourage you to set, that I would press silent and then send more emails about church planning? Now, at the surface, it's like, Critter, you're just pressing silence and alarm. You do it other four days a week. You're pretty good, man. I don't know if I pray one or, once or twice, you know. But the heart of that is me presuming upon God a couple of things. The one is presuming that I'll have tomorrow to actually pray, which James is going to go, that's evil. And then two, it, it's making myself like God because I think I can do more to bring about the work of God at Indiana in 2020 by sending one more email than actually going before a holy God and asking him to do something miraculous and bring dead people to life. That's presumptive. And it's wrong. And it should challenge us. I presume in my parenting, when I get home and I want to veg out and I want to spend my time the way I want to and I just want to scroll through Instagram and not engage with my kiddos. I presume that I have tomorrow and the next day and a couple years to help cultivate them into the women of God that, that I, I want them to be and that God wants them to be. That's presumptive. That's me spending my time and living my life as if it's a fog, it's a mist. It's the thing right in front of me and it orients everything, not God's bigger picture. I presume in my, my friendships, my family is going through a lot right now 
And there's a lot of just hurt and pain and brokenness between brothers and sisters. I'm one of seven uh, kiddos, and now I'm in Iowa. And so it's a lot of phone calls. And there's been a lot of repentance lately that I've had to, had to go through and um, calls to siblings just asking for forgiveness. And nothing in me over the past couple of weeks wants to make those phone calls. Because partly I'm presuming I have tomorrow, I have another week, another month to, to make amends, to make things right. And the part is because I want to do my things my way. I'm making myself out to be God and diminishing who God is in, in the same process. Verse 15, instead we ought to say the Lord wills, right? Um, how do we do this rightly? This is what James is going to kind of close out with in this passage in verse 15. How do we live differently? Well, he's going to go at our speech, but again, it's not just the speech James is going to go at. It's going to go at the heart, right? If out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, James giving us a new way to speak is actually going to challenge what we believe and how we think. Look at what James says in verse 15. This is how you should talk. This is how I should talk. This is how we collectively should talk. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, this just isn't empty speak. This isn't like Ricky Bobby going with all due respect and then insulting his boss. If you haven't seen Talladega Nights, terrible movie, don't see it. I'm not affirming it from the pulpit, but it's really funny. So... It's not just putting words in front of what we say as Christians. It's not Christianese and going, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. You know, definitely don't sing it like Sound of Music. That's a little weird. Um, it's, it's recognizing that God is not just God, but he's actually Lord. And God doesn't waste his time, and so we shouldn't waste it either. It's a heart change. It's a posture. It's a reorientation of our life. So we're not the center of the universe anymore. And we're not running around like chickens with their head cut off because we're so busy and we're so full and we're so important. This is what James is challenging. Listen to how you speak. Do you hear what you're saying? And what does it say about what you really believe? Our speech speaks about what our, what our hearts believe. And the challenge here is to believe differently. You know, I have, again, a five, three, and a one-year-old and one of the things that my five-year-old loves to do is play with her Barbie dolls, all right? So we just actually got a big like, Barbie dream house, and she loves it. And she likes to add to her Barbie doll collection with a real live Barbie doll called Emma, who's our one-year-old, right? Because that one moves. And so what I have to tell my five-year-old is you can't pick up Emma, the one-year-old, and walk across a nice slippery wood floor with socks on because you, five-year-old, will fall on top of the one-year-old. Now, I can't see the future as a father, but I, I know some things because I've seen some things, right? And so I'm telling her, you don't have the foresight, baby, to see what I see. You just got to trust me. And you don't have the capacity to bring about what you think you can bring about. So don't act like daddy and mommy and carry your little sister across the wood floor. We'll do that. But the five-year-old doesn't like to listen. Because she presumes she can see what I can see, and she doesn't see a problem with it. And she presumes that she has the capacity that I do as her father to bring about the ends that, that she wants to bring about, bringing the one-year-old across the kitchen floor. We do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. We presume way too much. And he's telling us, your life is but a mist. It's but a vapor. You have today, orient today around my purposes and my priorities, 
And by my grace, you'll have tomorrow. And the next day and the next and the next. But live in the present. We want to create this, this almost false reality, this, this future that we can't bring about. We can't see it. We can't control it. But too many of us live in it. And the heart of that is presumptive. And this is what James is challenging for his audience then and challenging us now. In a lot of ways, in most ways, it's evil. Now, if James was here this morning, um, do we have a James here? No, just kidding. Oh, I'm not going to call you up. If James, our author, was here this morning, um, what are some other things that he would, he would maybe challenge uh, us in how we speak? To say, do you hear yourself? I want to give us two um, to kind of look at things we, we say, ways that our speech speaks that in a lot of ways have become truisms in our culture and are way more American than biblical. Um, they're false, and so we should stop saying them. But I'm going to give us two. Uh, because these are, these are the ones that stuck out to me in my preparation, and I say often and shouldn't. The first, time is money. Guilty? Time is money. How is time money if money isn't time? That the richest man in the world can't buy a second of time. That when Bill Gates' number was up, though he ran the biggest company in the world that was probably bigger than three-fourths of the world's countries when you measure GDP, he couldn't buy a second of it. When we say we can buy time, we're not buying time. We're buying someone to take over some priorities and we rearrange our priorities and we do some other things, but we can't buy time. We just steward it differently. And the reality is when we're younger, we often trade time for money only to realize that when we get older, we don't have enough time to spend our money And we definitely can't buy more time. This is how uh, Don Whitney reasons in spiritual disciplines. He said, if people threw away their money as thoughtlessly as they throw away their time, we would think them insane. Yet time is infinitely more precious than money because money cannot buy time. It can't. You and I do not know if we will be here tomorrow. You and I, in fact, do not know if if we're going to make it home from the drive from church to go eat Sunday lunch. And it's not a morbid statement. It's a statement challenging our presumption that life and time and all that kind of stuff revolve around us. And James wants to challenge that for us this morning. I'll give you the second. I don't have enough time. Guilty? I don't have enough time. Here's the reality. God doesn't waste time. God always gives enough time for you to do what he's calling you to do. Always. I even said this in my sermon prep. Man, I don't have enough time. I'm like, no, no, I I have exactly enough time. Exactly. Think about it. Think about how that would change how you operate. John Bloom says it this way. I need to break the very bad habit of saying I don't have enough time. When I say this, I'm not only blaming my own moral laziness on my circumstances. I'm actually blaming God. I'm essentially saying that God is either insufficient or he's stingy. How often do you say, God's going to provide? And when we talk about money as a commodity and we're stewarding that, God's going to provide. We just got to trust him. Why don't we talk the same way about time? I don't have enough of it. What we're doing is actually blaming God. 
And this is what James says is evil. And it needs to change. It needs to stop. You know, I talk to college students about this all the time. uh, About priorities and living a life of priority. And this is something I say to them all the time. Business is laziness. Business is laziness. A lot of the time, if it's not laziness, it's just vanity. It makes us feel good. Right? We have an idol, I think, in our culture of productivity. And so we just fill our schedules and we spin our wheels. But I think we need to slow down and, and see the bigger picture of God's purposes and recognize each day is a gift and try and align that day with his purposes and what he's doing. This is what Jesus did perfectly when he walked this earth. We have an unbelievable model. Just go read the red letters. The God-man walking this earth, never in a rush, never busy, never frazzled. So different from me and you. Always in step with the Father's will. And he lived each one of his hours in light of his hour. You following me? This is how the Gospel of John speaks about it. My hour has not come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has come. Everything Jesus did... He did with priority and God's greater purpose in mind. He modeled it perfectly for us. And John 12 captures this in 23. This is what Jesus says in John 12, 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And here's the reality. Jesus doesn't just give us an example to follow out of our own empowerment. But he actually gives us the power to live like this. I have another picture I want to show you of uh, a heart transplant um, candidate who kind of shared her story on the BBC. I like to read the BBC. And this is probably two weeks ago that I read this. But she's sharing her story. Um, You can see the scar. She's sharing her story. Um, Her name's Island. And she said something interesting. She talked about life after the heart transplant transplant okay and she made a statement that she wasn't just living her life anymore but she was living their life speaking about the donor um, because the the title of the the article is is waiting for one of us to die and she lived because someone else died the only way that she can now live the life that's that's afforded to her that she's stepping into in the future is because another life ended and it's a beautiful picture of the gospel right We have life as Christians, eternal life, abundant life, renewed life, because it it costs the life of Christ. And that's in a way how we should live as as almost heart transplant recipients. There should be a, a new motivation, a new focus, a new fervor for our life. That Christ died to give his life to us, to live his life through us. And so we don't just live our life possessively. We live our life corporately. My life is Christ's life. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that's what it looks like to steward your time well, is to walk by faith to where God's purposes and your purposes in life become one. That's what Jesus gave us an example of, and that's what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provides us the empowerment for. Putting a new heart in us So that we can live out our life corporately. That being our critter and our Jesus. 
And if you're Christ, the same thing for you. James is challenging the presumption that any person lives with because they're a son or daughter of Adam. Your life is brief. It's a mist. It's a fog. Don't live presumptively. The gospel should give us even more motivation because we're not just a son of Adam, but now we're a son or daughter of God to not waste our minutes and our hours and our days and live presumptively around our own purposes and priorities. But to walk in such a way that we live out the will of God each and every day. I want to close by by reading from Psalm 39 and then uh, and then pray for us. But when I think about where we go from here, I think this is a good first step. Um, again, I intentionally did not want to give us a bunch of to-dos to walk away from this sermon. But it's really a challenge to our heart's posture. And may this week, may we listen to how we speak. And would it tell us something about where our heart's really at. What we really believe. Uh, and will we respond uh, with a prayer of humble confession, like the psalmist does in Psalm 39. This is what Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5 say. O oh Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely, all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We praise you. We confess that we live all too often um, in such a way that's 